Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Let's face it, indoor agriculture consumes massive amounts of energy. Between cooling high-intensity grow lights and regulating climate in large facilities, electric bills can run a successful grow operation into the red. If this sounds familiar, I can tell you that you need a powerful climate control system that won't drain your green. I'm Eric Riccardi with Blue Mountain Energy. Our state-of-the-art HVAC systems are powered by natural gas and propane, which means you can reduce your electricity use by as much as 80% and get your grow operation back in the black and maximize your growing space. Visit BlueMountainEnergy.com to schedule your free energy assessment and see how Blue Mountain Energy can put that green back in your pocket. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I'm happy you could join us. Since this is the first show of the new year, I wanted to wish you all a happy 2020. With all of the controversial political news dominating headlines lately, some momentous developments in the realm of cannabis policy have gone largely underreported. Several bills like the Safe Banking Act and the States Act have passed Congress and are awaiting action in the Senate. And probably the most sweeping legalization measure has received a thumbs up from the Judiciary Committee and is likely to reach the House for a vote early this year. While these measures signal that federal reform is closer than it's ever been, we aren't entirely out of the woods. Despite the decades of relentless activism, the stigma of prohibition still looms large over some lawmakers who have yet to be convinced that legalization would be good for the country. So it was a major setback when news broke about the fatal lung injuries caused by vaping last year. The crisis invited more consternation of skeptics and left room for doubt about whether or not cannabis is safe for public consumption. To be clear, Cannabis in its purest form is not the culprit. It's not a lethal substance. The CDC pointed to vitamin E oil, which is generally recognized as safe, but when it's heated to the point of vapor, it actually transforms into a substance called vitamin E acetate, which is lethal when inhaled. But if a seemingly innocuous substance like vitamin E oil can become poisonous when it's heated in a vape cartridge, that raises other questions especially when you're talking about illicit products that haven't been tested for toxic substances that can actually transform into hydrogen cyanide when vaporized, like pesticides, for example. It drives home the importance of regulation, and not just for the cannabis industry, but for other sectors as well. Unlike pharmaceuticals, the cannabis industry has been subjected to a lot of scrutiny, and stakeholders have had to earn the trust of consumers and lawmakers alike. 
As a matter of self-preservation, most cannabis producers are vigilant about lab testing and go out of their way to ensure their products meet high purity standards. And when you consider how much effort went into building public trust, it would seem like a betrayal to the entire industry for any one producer to allow contaminated products to escape into the market. Unlike conventional medicine, cannabis isn't prescribed by doctors, so patients have to rely upon the transparency and goodwill of producers, providing them with the assurances that the medicine meant to save their lives isn't going to kill them. By contrast, pharmaceuticals that are prescribed by a doctor are just automatically assumed to be safe. But the question is, are they? Ironically, we don't ask the same questions of the pharmaceutical industry, and largely because we trust our doctors. We also put a lot of faith into the government oversight of our food and medicine, but the truth is, few of us really know what they're made of. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you asked to see a certificate of analysis for a medicine prescribed by a doctor? And how many people really think about the chemicals used to grow, process, or preserve the foods we eat, or question where exactly the prescription medicines we take were made? How many of us connect the food we ingest with the increasing prevalence of autoimmune diseases or cancer in our society? And when medical conditions worsen or result in fatalities, how many of us actually ask about the pharmaceuticals that may have contributed to it? Furthermore, there's just been a lot of deregulation going on, and we really don't have a lot of transparency of institutions that are meant to protect us. So when you consider that, the vaping crisis should serve as a wake-up call for all of us to start paying more attention, asking more questions, and demanding better oversight. And this is where cannabis actually has a good opportunity to shift the paradigm for other industries. Most states require that growers and manufacturers test their ingredients and make certificates of analysis available to consumers upon request. But state-mandated testing of the cannabis plant may not be sufficient enough to detect all of the contaminants that led to the vaping deaths. Cannabis producers need to also test their soil and substrates and their entire supply chain from soil to extracts. That's the topic of today's show, and our guests unearthed some shocking revelations that appear in a report they co-authored called Plant STDs. And yes, you heard me right, STDs, which I'll let them explain. So autoimmune specialist Jessica Chandler and cannabis media expert Denise Mahaffey are principals in a research firm called Trinity Global and creators of a public service campaign to educate the public about the hazardous chemicals prevalent in the substrates and growing media most commonly used for indoor cultivation. As a PR specialist, Denise has represented clients in emerging and existing markets with a focus on cannabis enterprise and organizations that have been a catalyst for positive change. She's actively involved in advocacy groups such as NFL Pro Bowl Computers and the U.S. Hemp CBD Media Industry Foundation since 2013. She's a 40 Under 40 Award recipient and producer and host of Inspire San Diego. Jessica is an award-winning researcher who specializes in the field of autoimmune diseases. She spent 20 years helping to set industry standards furthering autoimmune disease research and diagnostic standards. Thank you both so much for joining me. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm really eager to hear about plant STDs. But first, Jessica, I'm really interested in your background because you've been researching in the field of autoimmune diseases. So I know that this is very much related to your work. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background. Yes. So to give you a little bit of background about me, I have been in the biomedical field for over 22 years. I had my own research and diagnostic company specializing in rheumatic autoimmune disease. I've taken that company over the years and expanded it to include infectious diseases as well. Some of the products that I did was uh, developing new diagnostic assays. I was the uh, manufacturer of the autoimmune disease controls for Quest Diagnostics, which is the largest lab in the U.S. And I've been a supplier of diagnostic materials and raw materials to some of the largest companies in the world, such as Siemens, Abbott, Toshiba. And I have also been a manufacturer for other controls um, with the uh, with NIH, the National Institute of Health, as well as uh, the AMLI, Association of Medical Laboratory Immunologists. That uh, I think kind of gives me just a tiny little bit of experience in the industry of health. <laughs> to say the least. I mean, your credentials are amazing. And Denise, tell me a little bit about how you began your foray into the research about the pathogens that you're finding in the substrates. Sure, I'd be happy to. It comes with a little bit of a story. Um, my journey in the hemp industry started in. 2013, and throughout the course of time, there have been mold recalls on products that are going out to dispensaries. And as of late, we've been seeing mold recalls and we've been seeing injuries and death associated with vaping products. So we've been through, Jessica and I have been through um, farm tours, seen how the operations work. We've been introduced to heads of industry, and we kept asking questions because we wanted to figure out where is the source of this mold coming from, and is it a problem that can be resolved? And we ended up doing a lot of background research for months on the topic of an unsuspected contaminant source, which is the soilless grow media that the seeds or the sprouts are planted in, in mostly hydroponic environments. And that is called coconut substrate. It has a common name, coconut core or coconut peat, cocoa core, cocoa peat. And it's very popular because it helps with the root growth of the plant and supporting the the actual roots. And What we found was with the laboratory tests of five of the more popular brands on the market, 40% came back with pathogenic molds, fusarium, and pythium. You discovered this by accident. Tell me what happened. 
Yeah, so we decided, well, if you could get a certificate of analysis on a finished product, could you also get a certificate of analysis on the different inputs, which is what is used to support plant growth? And the answer was yes. So most of the contamination research that's out there points to fertilizer, um, non-organic fertilizer and weed control and the health repercussions of ingesting that into your body. So that was already known. What wasn't known was the substrate. So when the analysis came back, it was literally the smoking gun on how mold begins to proliferate in a grow environment, especially for cannabis, which is the microcosm of agriculture. And it's tested multiple times throughout its its plant life cycle before it turns into a finished product for consumers. And there was there was the one story that you had told me before, which was that you had planted your own seeds for vegetables. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to plant something and grow something in my home garden. I went to Home Depot and I purchased a greenhouse tray with these prepackaged pellets. All you do is add water and add a seed. How hard could that be, right? So I did. I put the seeds in. I put the water in exactly like the instructions said and mold formed. And the question that was always in the back of my mind is where did the mold come from? So as we were doing this research, it dawned on me, it happened to me on a very small scale. So my loss was maybe $10 at the garden center. But when you're talking about a commercial operation, especially with cannabis, you're, you're talking millions of dollars of an investment in the grow facility, all the equipment. And as the nutrients and everything's flowing through the whole system in an indoor grow environment, if there's contamination present, it will proliferate and contaminate the entire operation. And that is where the big issues start coming in, is what do these growers do with this contaminated crop? You know, because it is a substance substantial loss that they could be facing. No doubt. Then what you have is you have a crop that is covered with mold, powdery mildew, PM, and they spray it with fungicide. Well, what happens when the fungicide is then heated because this crop is either unscrupulously sold or it is reduced down into an oil which then concentrates everything and it's put into the vape pen. When you heat it, especially in the vape pen and concentrated, you get hydrogen cyanide. You're inhaling cyanide gas. Let that sink in for a moment. Mm -hmm. It's truly astonishing when you consider that actually happens to be one of the toxic ingredients that has been found in the people that have been poisoned and gone to the hospital recently with this big controversy over the vaping pens. I, I mean, it, and you were able to make the connection between that and what you found? Yes, yes. And 
and you start asking why at the various different levels. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? What is causing this? And you start going back further and further and further and further, which brought us back to the substrate, the coconut core, the substrate that's being utilized in these where they're using river water and various contaminated water to wash, quote unquote, their products. And I don't know if anybody has any, any uh, background or experience or has seen anything with the what the water systems are like in these countries, um, it's pretty scary. Well, I mean, some water sources. In that. Yeah, and some water sources are, are where they bathe, the sewage is, is commingled. There, there are a lot of problems with the water purity in some of the third world countries where some of these products are being grown. And they don't have the same kind of regulatory oversight of their water supply that we have here in the States. But even here in the States, I mean, we have contamination that goes unnoticed or unreported, I should say. And, you know, it causes a lot of problems for us, especially in in these agricultural areas where the water tables are contaminated with all of the things that they spray all over these plants. But that's a whole other topic. But, you know, I just find it astonishing that you were able to make the connection between the cocoa core and and the vaping issue. And have you had any discussions with the CDC about what you have found or um, are you planning to in the future? No, I'm actually not planning to. And the reason being is cannabis is governed by the state. So if you have a regulatory body that's overseeing from a federal level, um, it would be better if the growers would manage themselves and if the growers would be aware of this problem. Uh, we do not feel that the growers are currently aware of this issue, which is why we created a massive report at plantstds.com. <laughs> Catchy name, it's Substrate Transmitted Diseases, so plantstds.com. And there's also a landing page for COA to CYA. And that is our public service announcement to both consumers and growers. This issue is manageable on two levels. One, if the growers are aware that the majority of the coconut substrate that's out there is potentially contaminated with pathogenic mold to always seek a certificate of analysis on all of the plant inputs that they use to grow before they start growing. That's the first step. Second step is for consumers to be aware of what a certificate of analysis is and how to read it. If a consumer sees a COA and the product, the cannabis product has been tested for heavy metals and it passes the heavy metals test, but it was not analyzed for pathogens or mold, that would be a red flag not to purchase it. Another red flag would be if there is no link back to a COA whatsoever. If the package or the product that the consumer wishes to purchase has no traceable analysis, then our recommendation would be to find a product that does have traceable analysis. Otherwise, the consumer is gambling with their life at this point especially when it comes to vaping. 
the, the mold recalls and the yeast recalls have been happening in dispensaries with pre-rolls. And you think about why a pre-roll? Well, it's because you can't see it. So then it opens the question about if you can't see it, as Jessica mentioned, it reduces down into an oil. The oil can go into a vape pen. What else can the oil go into? And that's just about any finished product. That is incredible advice for consumers. I agree. And I think that so many people just trust the sources. I mean, we're used to going to the grocery store and not really paying much attention to certificates of analysis. And I imagine that this problem was happening in vegetables as well. Right. So in the, in the news reports that came out about the toxicology, I believe it was the pathology report, it came back indicating that there was fungicide found in the pathology. And if there's fungicide as a chemical on somebody's lung tissue, then why was it even there? And if you backtrack one step further, that would be the presence of mold. So if mold is an issue, then the grower attempted to eliminate the mold with a chemical product on a natural plant medicine. That is just so scary. And Jessica, tell me the, the health ramifications of this. Oh, well, I mean, you're inhaling cyanide. <laughs> you're poisoning yourself. I mean, you can get, you know, burns on your lungs, um, blisters. Um, you can start, you can have all sorts of respiratory issues and diseases that can be created from it. Um, you know, the big one though is that you can die. It's a, it's a big deal uh, just from, from stuff like this. Now it may not be just a, a one-time type of thing. However, regular users, they're definitely going to find issues with this as well. And I mean, when you start looking at some of these, uh, some of the materials that are sold, um, perhaps, you know, black market or, you know, outside of dispensaries where they're not so controlled, you know, you, there's even growers who are using Roundup to dry their plants faster. That is absolutely horrifying to me. And this is true also in the tobacco industry, isn't it? Where they're creating nicotine vape products. Well, the nicotine and vape products, they're not quite the same manufacturing as that goes into the other because they're not necessarily using the oils. I see. But how, how did you learn about the Roundup being used as a drying agent? Uh, that would be from one of our associates who has been in the agriculture industry for well over 25 years and he's been a uh, he manufactures organic nutrients he consults for various growers uh, whether they're in the cannabis industry the hemp industry or you know if they're just growing you know uh, grapes for their vineyard so he's seen it all and with all of this that was coming down, he brought that to a discussion one day, and it was shocking to us. Shocking. Well, it is shocking, and, and I guess I'm not really sure how Roundup could be 
a drying, I would think that Roundup would just, you know, kill everything on the plant itself, drying or not. Glyphosate is a desiccant, can be used as a desiccant, a drying agent. Right. Yeah, and I I know it kills weeds <laughs> and uh, without killing the plants that are chemically altered to grow despite having a, an herbicide sprayed on them or sprayed in the soil. So well, the plants already harvested, so they're they're harvested and hung to dry, right? And if they're not drying fast enough, that's when they're using glyphosate products to try and dry them faster. Wow! And is glyphosate something that's in a typical COA for cannabis when they're sending their product to the lab? If they're testing for heavy metals and they're testing for pathogens, will glyphosate automatically come up or is this something that the growers are going to need to actually ask the laboratory to test specifically for glyphosate? The the grower will know what they've done to it, but there is a catalog that the laboratories have and they can absolutely pinpoint what was done to the plant. And the thing is, you have to realize that when a grower sends something in, they'll send it in and request for potentially heavy metal testing, but they may not be requesting on the COA to have the pathogens or the other contaminants. Now, there's states that are requiring a higher level of testing and regulation where the growers are having to provide all this additional information, which is good. Well, what about for the end product? The end product manufacturers do their own uh, lab testing and usually provide a COA to the end user, or you know they make it available to the end user online or or wherever. And if would the glyphosate show up in in the standard testing that people do to test the products after it's left the grower? If they're yes. looking for it, yeah, it it will come up in the analysis. Oh, go ahead. If they're testing for it. So specifically, so what we need to do then is just make sure that the manufacturers also realize that glyphosate is just one other contaminant that they need to test for in addition to the standard heavy metals and pathogen tests that they run, correct? Yes, that is correct. Wow. Um, one, One of the positive notes that came out of all of this is that there are coconut substrate manufacturers that are doing it right, as well as vape Mm -hmm. companies that are doing it right. These Mm -hmm. companies, certain companies are truly certified. They walk the walk. They test their own materials multiple times before it even becomes a retail product. And so, we, like I said, we analyzed five of, of the most popular brands, and there is one front runner. And that information can be found on plantstds.com. If anybody's interested in the actual lab analysis, um, they can get it from us, or they can get it from you, Snowden. We'll provide it to you. Yeah, I definitely plan to post all of this online, but I think it's a matter of everyone in the supply chain to be aware that there are additional contaminants that they need to test for in order to avoid the obvious problems that we've had with the vaping products. Exactly. And so if consumers start demanding analysis, then that will guide the industry. 
So I really feel that this is an issue that can be resolved from within. However, this also branches out to world agriculture. And today there was a report that came out on a massive listeria outbreak. And that's a pathogen. And it's in vegetables in Canada and the United States. It's a massive health warning and recall. Before you go any further on this one, I just wanted to let people know that listeria is a pathogen that's prevalent in places where they have a lot of agricultural farm animal waste, specifically on pig farms and factory chicken farms as well. Am I right about that or is that? That is a source. That is a source of it. Yes. It could go back to what fertilizer was used. It could go back to what inputs were used. So this is, it's kind of going along the same lines of what we're talking about with the substrate. It's testing for purity in advance before anything starts to grow. So recalls like this massive produce recall would have less of a tendency to happen. Well, preventative medicine in a way for agriculture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, so, uh, you know, goes along with the name of the plant STDs, you know. I yeah. Have fun with it. However, you can prevent it. Right. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, as they say. But this is very disturbing, too. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there's uh, light at the end of the tunnel and it's not the oncoming train and that there are conscientious providers who test their product before they give it to growers. But it does all boil down to awareness, just being aware that these are problems and making sure that they test it before they lose millions of dollars after harvesting something that's going to be contaminated. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the inputs that we're talking about, um, the that would be the substrate, which is what we had analyzed for contaminants. And there's contaminants in there. There's water, which does play a very big factor into how the plant grows. And then there's fertilizer nutrients, as well as um, pest and weed control. So all of those steps happen within the grow environment and all we're saying is to the growers and especially the investors that are backing the growers to take a hard look at what you're using to grow before this problem happens. Because realize there's sometimes out there there's some really pretty packaging however you may not like what's in the package. Well, judging a book by the cover isn't always the best way to go when you're talking about medicine. Yeah. And, but again, it just goes back to awareness. And, you know, the more the growers are aware, the manufacturers are aware, and the consumers are aware, we can probably save some lives. <laughs> so, right. And the certificates of analysis are really important. You know, when you start coming down to a lot of this, when you have, especially when you're utilizing an independent third party laboratory, to do the testing, to do the analysis, then you have a certain level of surety that they are not, that they're not taking sides, so to speak, that they are independent in their report and in their analysis and what comes back. So you can have a company that is actually providing their own COA and testing internally, and yet, you know, you could have just like in the uh, 
in the biomedical industry, you can actually have best results that I'm aware of. Or in industry, for any industry for that matter, that it can always be manipulated. Yeah. And how many times has a patient demanded a COA on any pharmaceutical product? And I wonder how much of a problem this is in pills that are dispensed under prescription by a doctor <laughs> over and over again. I mean, you know, are we poisoning people on a regular basis? This is a question that people should be asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, look at this protest recall. Honestly, how is anybody going to know? I, as far as I'm aware, vegetables don't have a COA. <laughs> Yet, there's a massive amount of the stuff being recalled right now. So... On that note, I do feel that the cannabis industry is doing what it should. There's just a handful that are trying to recover their profit. And the contaminated oils are making it to market. We're seeing the vape oils make it to the market through the black market. So as you're saying, if you do have a legitimate COA and it does come up contaminated, the ethical thing to do is not sell it. However, those that are more concerned with making a profit have, and we've seen that, and we've seen the health impact of that. So we're asking everybody from the growers to the investors to the consumer, everybody do all that they can to correct the situation, and that's by asking for the COA. Yeah. Well, the cannabis industry has an opportunity here to be a leader. I mean, they're so highly regulated in so many ways. And in some states, the testing is somewhat considered overkill, but it really isn't because it is protecting consumers at the end of the day. And, you know, if the rest of the agricultural industries out there would follow some of the lead of the cannabis industry and adopt some of those regulations, wouldn't you think that it would make our food supply in general a lot healthier? Oh, absolutely. I'm in total agreement with you. Because you, you see hundreds of millions of pounds of this coconut substrate product being exported um, annually. And this is to support the world food supply. So if, if we're looking at cannabis as a microcosm of agriculture and we're seeing this problem and we know that it can be corrected by relying on an independent third-party certificate of analysis, then perhaps that action, that behavior should be adopted for the entire agriculture industry. So I do feel that cannabis is an industry that is doing everything possible within its own regulations to self-police. There is just a handful, obviously, that you know we're hearing about that have chosen profit over ethics, and and that's the sad part of business. Um, so the the real pathway to protecting one's health is by making absolutely sure that there's analysis of purity behind the products that they wish to purchase and consume. Yeah, absolutely. Now, does this problem also impact the hydroponic growers, people who are growing in in water-based environments as opposed to soil? Yes, absolutely. How is that? So, coconut substrate is, if you can, if you can imagine it, is it's the hairy part of the outside of the coconut. 
and it's the spongy part. So all of that is stripped away from the actual um, nut itself. And that is what gives the roots the support to grow, the plant roots. So in an indoor grow environment where you have a lot of automation and control, all of that is taking place and you don't have the actual earth to plant the seeds in. So what is very popular and being used is coconut substrate. It's called coconut core or coconut peat. It's a very good substrate. And in fact, there are certain European countries, the uh, UK and Ireland, that have banned peat moss because it releases CO2 into the atmosphere upon harvesting. So they've banned the use of peat. And cocoa peat is a direct replacement for peat moss. So knowing that and knowing that it's extremely popular in indoor grow environments, when you look at the numbers, 40% came back contaminated. That's and that's winking. just the 40% that we tested. We didn't test exactly. every single one out there. The numbers could actually be substantially higher. This is a huge problem. It's a massive problem. It's a world problem. Absolutely. It has no geographic boundaries. It, it absolutely has no geographic boundaries. And again, we're looking at how the, the issue becomes with how the substrate itself is processed and harvested. A lot of these coconut fields, they are intermixed crops. So they have the coconuts and then they're growing something else underneath the coconuts and spraying them with who knows what. The, the husks themselves, you know, they're harvested and they're sitting in ponds of this contaminated river water where they're being repeatedly washed, rinsed with contaminated river water. They're not properly dried. They're being laid out in, in dirt to dry. You know, people walking along in their feet, turning, you know, kicking it to turn it over. Um, you know, it's packed up. It's still moist because, you know, these environments are humid. And so your, you know, your pythium or your fusarium or your other uh, unwanted goodies are now in a confined, moist environment that allows for optimum growth to start. And so you can go to get some of these bags and you, you know, you slice them open and bugs come out. All sorts of other stuff comes out. Well, also the smell of mildew. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's because yeah. it's, that's what this is. That is what this yeah. is. Right. And also those shipping containers are prone to producing mold and organic material that's being shipped overseas. So I can only imagine that by the time it arrives in the U.S., I can imagine that it's just proliferating oh, yeah. an even bigger problem for people receiving the substrates in the U.S. Well, it's been really right. interesting, this whole education process about this and being able to talk to 
a gentleman who's been in the industry for over 35 years and finding out like they go, they've even gone through extremes of ensuring humidity control in their shipping containers. How is that for, I mean, they have gone above and beyond. It's a, it's incredible when you really, really start looking at how this product could actually be manufactured and provided in a high, high ethical and quality way. So just to give your listeners a little bit of background, um, there is an extensive report at plantstds.com. And what we talk about is we talk about the entire manufacturing process. So when you look at a coconut that's growing in a tree, how does it become food? How does it become a substrate? Well, the process that Jessica was describing as far as soaking the shells in order to remove the substrate material from the coconut shell, that's called retting. And retting, I've read online that it takes months of soaking this material in water. Um, The sources of the water are undefined in most cases. In some cases, as in this manufacturer that has been in, in the industry for, you know, more than three decades, going on four decades, they know the process. They know where the contamination points can happen. And they're very diligent about making sure that when it goes through the redding process and they add nutrients, they dry it completely. They had a custom machine made to dry it completely. So that way, when it is packaged, and it goes into a humidity-controlled shipping container, by the time the consumer or the grower gets it, there are no surprises. So there are companies that are doing it right. It's the other companies that have questionable manufacturing processes and somehow, do not ask me how, there is a major certification company out there in Europe that has certified one of the most contaminated substrates in the report. How that can happen blows my mind. If you're, if you're going to put any type of organic certification or industry certification on your product, you have got to be sure that your processes are in place to ensure purity. That's why the manufacturers go through these certification processes. So as a consumer, going through this report, and we're, we're starting to understand and, and seeing where the industry is falling apart or somebody's not paying attention. So whether you see organic on the label, which organization has actually certified that it is organic? That's a huge issue. And it's mind boggling really when you consider just how massive this problem is. And Jessica, I have a question for you. You know, with the uptick in autoimmune diseases over the last couple of decades, how much weight would this problem have in creating that phenomenon? Well, (laughs) there's multiple different aspects, I think, in this whole autoimmune disease uh, component. Because the you're, what you're doing is, is you are 
introducing foreign substances, pathogens into our food sources, which are creating, can, you know, take and create low-grade infections, low-grade, uh, you're creating these various responses in your body by ingesting all these toxins and poisons. I don't want to go down another rabbit hole, which I think is really key to all of it. However, whenever you are introducing something foreign into the body, uh, you're going to get a response. Sometimes it's a good one, and sometimes it's not so good. And here in America, we have some pretty poor quality control and some pretty poor food practices, as well as some other quality of life practices that are just abhorrable. And I'm not going to, like I said, go down the rabbit hole on this. However, I do have my thoughts and opinions as well as I'm sure a variety of listeners out there as well. However, again, it just comes down to you're you're introducing these foreign substances in there. And if someone has even a slight immune-compromised system, then it can trigger uh, response after response after response. Uh, It'll just like pneumonia. You typically don't die from from the actual initial uh, contamination, the infection, it's all the complications that arise from it. And so one thing can lead to another, to another, to another. Yes, you have your vape, you've inhaled it, you know, you start getting small, you know, blisters, little lesions on your lungs. Pretty soon you keep doing it. And, you know, uh, if you ingest enough contaminated product, such as, you know, some of the black market stuff. Yeah. And one dose, you know, one good dose of cyanide. We know what happens with that. Yeah. Well, it's poison. As is glyphosate, which is, (laughs) that, that in itself is another rabbit hole we could go down, but suffice it to say that glyphosate has been linked to cancer. And it's been linked to autism. And mm-hmm. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I might have read somewhere that it's also linked to like Crohn's and some other autoimmune conditions. But don't hold me to that one. I'm not sure. And I couldn't cite it right now off the top of my head. But it seems to me I've read this. And, you know, glyphosate is basically the main ingredient of Roundup. And as most Mm -hmm. people know, GMOs are Roundup ready, meaning that they're drawing their nutrients from soil that is laden with glyphosate in the Roundup product that they use to kill the weeds around it. So, you know, this is a major, major problem that our government has just failed to regulate. In fact, they have the foxes guarding the hen house because a lot of um, Monsanto lobbyists or, or former executives are actually monitoring and regulating the agricultural industry right now, which is another whole kettle of fish, another rabbit hole. (laughs) But 
it's such a miracle medicine when it comes to helping people with autoimmune conditions. So to have contaminated autoimmune, but many, many other ones. um, I mean, it is a miracle plant. Yeah. Well, our bodies are equipped to process it and our bodies actually need it, which is what a lot of recent Mm -hmm. research is showing. But what I'm getting at is that here you've got this miracle medicine that can address all of these conditions that have become more and more common in our population over the last 20, 30 years due to contaminated agriculture and um, lifestyle problems, uh, contaminants of everyday life, you know, from the air we breathe to the water Mm -hmm. we drink. And yet, contaminating that medicine with the very chemicals that are causing some of these problems just seems like a circular, it's a, it's a spiral. And so nipping this problem in the bud through this industry and raising awareness through this industry about this problem, you know, one can only hope that this might cause a cascade effect in getting people to start questioning the agriculture and the water and the lack of regulation in our air quality control on so many levels. The contaminants that go into our water supply just from the runoff on farms, from the glyphosate that's in Mm -hmm. our rivers. So, I mean, I think that you guys have opened up Pandora's box. (laughs) And the thing is, what's really, really going on here as well is the cannabis industry and the hemp industry, because as you know, these these plants are, especially hemp, is able to remediate soil. We can remediate these toxic soils with hemp. However, these these industries have the potential to create a whole new standard, to create a whole new awareness, to really make a change in what and how things have been done. You know what, you just encapsulated what I was trying to say a moment ago, just beautifully. I mean, and I've talked about this a lot on this show that cannabis, the cannabis industry does have this opportunity to set new standards and to create a healthier way of doing just about everything in terms of agriculture. And you're right, it's a remedial medium. Hemp is, not only is it a a great plant for sequestering carbon, pulling it out of the atmosphere and restoring it back to the soil where it belongs, but yes, it does remediate by pulling in a lot of the contaminants that are in the soil. And the wonderful thing about hemp is that the harvests that were remediating soil can be used for industrial purposes so that it's mm-hmm. not something that's being consumed by patients mm-hmm. or used as a food source. It, it can go into hempcrete and it can go into making plastics. And, you know, there's still going to be the problem of carbon emissions in that manufacturing process, especially if the plant has absorbed a lot of these toxins but it's still less toxic than processing fossil fuels for making toilet paper and plastic. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Well, I mean, I love to tell people, do you, you do ask them, you do realize that our constitution was written on hemp paper. 
Yeah, the first draft of it absolutely was. Mm -hmm. And um, Declaration of Independence and just about everything else. Mm. Although the quality of paper, they wound up putting it on on regular parchment, the final in the Smithsonian. But all newspapers were made of hemp. Mm -hmm. In fact, all paper products that were consumables were made of hemp. Textiles, the very first Levi's. You know, and rope sales—you name it, clothing, all of it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, canvas uh, actually came from the word cannabis originally. A lot of people just don't know this, and and even like the first Bible was uh, that that is still exists today and is in readable condition was printed on hemp, and you know it's thousands of years old. They've got these. Uh, satchels and and mummies that have hemp uh, that are wrapped in hemp and you've got uh, 4,000 years ago uh, a bag a satchel from a medicine man contained hemp seeds so it's pretty interesting the history that goes back millennia but we have an opportunity here with this information that you have drummed up And I, I actually love the acronym STDs because, you know, it, it, when you hear that, <laughs> it, <laughs> sexually transmitted diseases, but with the reproduction of plants, this is a problem that we can't avoid. Like you said, it's awesome. I mean, yeah. kudos yeah, to both of you. Our substrate transmitted. And that's exactly what it is. It gets your attention and then you start wondering, what? Yeah. Look into it a little bit more. Yeah. We use the um, acronym STDs to humanize this problem that's happening with agriculture and connect it to the human body. Uh, Plants have an immune system just as humans have an immune system. And if the immune system becomes impacted and you end up with a sickly plant, same thing. The, The way to bring it back to health is pretty much doing the same stuff that you would do for yourself. So we connected it with humanizing this issue. So it is, it gives you a chuckle when you talk about plant STDs, uh, but it really does exist. And we're talking about the substrate. Yeah. And the technical definition of substrate, just in case people don't know, is? It's a soilless material used to grow agriculture. Very simply put. I love it. Yeah. Well, I will be putting this report on our website and directing people to yours so that they can sign up to get the COA, as you were talking about, of the different substrates. And then of the, the companies or the, the products that you actually had tested, you said you tested five of them, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do, are you publishing the names of those or, or is that something that you want to keep close to the vest? No, we have actually published all of the names of the companies that were tested, and those are located on plantstds.com. We're not producing a smear campaign. That is not why we produce this report. That is not why we produce this public service announcement. We're here to let anybody know if you've used those brands, please contact us and we will provide that analysis to you. If you're a legitimate grower, if you, if you do have vested interest in agriculture, we're happy to share the information. We just don't want to put it out there publicly and have this massive backlash that we've been seeing 
with the vape industry because not all vape manufacturers are going down that questionable path. A lot of them are very above board. So we really wanted to protect the information yet provide it to those that really truly need it. And the list actually also includes, you know, the good guys as well. So it's not just, ooh, it's the full list of everyone. So the good guys are on there as well. So we have made that available on plantstds.com. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such valuable information. And again, I mean, congratulations for pulling this together. It's an incredible report and we'll make it available to everyone that's listening. So is there anything else that you'd like us to let our audiences know about either the work that you're doing or what they should look for? Always ask for the COA, the certificate of analysis. Start requesting it for your substrates that you're growing in your growing mediums. Good advice. Good advice. So this is something that we'll definitely be following up on to uh, just get more information out there. I'll make sure that it gets out on the Growers Network and make sure that people have access to it. We'll put it out on our social media as well because um, this really is just so important, especially for people who are immunocompromised. They just need to know where their medicine is coming from. End of story. And also, they should know where their food is coming from as well. But do you foresee that in the future that we could actually have legislation passed to ensure that people growing ordinary food, not just cannabis, but food in general, is not contaminated? I would hope so. I literally would hope so. Because if it was, if it was so simple for me to go to the garden center at Home Depot, and buy this material to grow seeds in and it produced mold, then other people that may be wanting to grow their own produce are going to run into the same issue. So we've seen this massive, you know, recall on produce from Listeria. If these are organic brands that are being recalled, where's the quality control there? Yeah, massive problem. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for bringing all of this to our attention. And I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that you reached out to me about this, Denise, because it's, it is so important. And I think that people really do need to know, but really so appreciate your insights. And this is great information. And so I guess the moral to the story is just be aware, do your homework, for the growers out there, make sure that you're testing everything before you plant your seeds. And for the people manufacturing medicine out of cannabis, just make sure you know where they're sourcing their, their planting materials. And that's the lesson of the day, I guess. It is. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, and Denise, thank you as well. This has just been really in, informative, and I really appreciate the information that you've put forth here. So thank you. All right. Thank you so much. If you have any questions, just let us know. 
I certainly will. So once again, it is time to bring yet another show to a close. I'd like to personally thank my guests, Denise Mahaffey and Jessica Chandler for sharing their insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work they're doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. And there you will find their bios along with information about plant STDs and a link to their website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our partners and radio sponsors, Blue Mountain Energy and Canisphere Biotech. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank our production team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for always making us shine. And, of course, it goes without saying just how much we appreciate our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least... Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week. Same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Let's face it, indoor agriculture consumes massive amounts of energy. Between cooling high-intensity grow lights and regulating climate in large facilities, electric bills can run a successful grow operation into the red. If this sounds familiar, I can tell you that you need a powerful climate control system that won't drain your green. I'm Eric Riccardi with Blue Mountain Energy. Our state-of-the-art HVAC systems are powered by natural gas and propane, which means you can reduce your electricity use by as much as 80% and get your grow operation back in the black and maximize your growing space. Visit BlueMountainEnergy.com to schedule your free energy assessment and see how Blue Mountain Energy can put that green back in your pocket.